0: Hello and welcome to Making UX Work, the Give Good UX Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Natoli, and our focus here is on folks like you doing real, often unglamorous UX work in the real world. You'll hear about their struggles, their successes, and their journey to and through the trenches of product design, development, and of course, user experience. My guest today is Kristen Courier Ledlow, a digital designer with over 20 years of helping people shop better online and in stores. She's worked with companies like Office Depot, Home Depot, CompUSA, Levenger, and now City Furniture, a South Florida chain that is rebranding, expanding, and rapidly growing their e-commerce team. Kristen believes that everything in retail and life is user experience. Whether you're resetting a store or building an online shopping cart, it's the same thing. Here's my conversation with Kristen Courier Ludlow on making UX work. So, Kristen, how are you?
1: I'm fantastic. How are you?
0: I am fantastic as well. It's the end of the week.
1: I know, yay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's my favorite day of the week. <laughs> What's going on for you this week? Anything exciting?
1: Um Yeah, we've got a lot of exciting things going on. Um I'm, I've been doing a lot of work with uh, the email here, email design. I work with City Furniture in Florida. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've done email design amongst other design work for other e commerce companies for a while now. Um, this is a sort of a family led business that's looking to expand rapidly. And um, they're going under a, a little bit of a rebrand right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so we got a lot going on. It's, it's, we're moving really quickly with the rebrand um, and also expansion plans into northern Florida. So I'm putting together a lot of um, foundational elements for the email going forward. And we're also adding more people into the team. Very cool. So it's exciting times.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of which, how many people are on that team? I mean, how many people are working in the sort of UX or design area aside from yourself?
1: Um, well, for just the design team, there's three of us. Okay. And um, there was one UX designer when I first got here. And then we, did, we uh, hired a visual designer probably a year ago. And so it's the three of us. We're a little bit like a super group right now.
0: <laughs> super group. I like that.
1: <laughs> exactly what we are.
0: <laughs> You're releasing a record soon, I guess?
1: <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> yep. I'll
0: tell you what's cool when I look at your LinkedIn profile is that all down the line, Right? I see retail organizations, yeah, <laughs> Home Depot, comp USA, level one, Levenger, office Depot, and then now to at city furniture. and what jumps out at me in particular is that there's a very clear path to me that this that this represents right okay, you started uh, in looks like you were doing some visual merchandising at first.
1: I sure was mm-hmm.
0: things like that signs displays, yep <laughs> right so to come in. At that level, and then work your way up, you know, sort of through various things to where you are right now. To me, this is sort of like um, it's an inspirational path. I think because a lot of folks feel like they'll never get you know to where they want to be, and they feel like the job they're doing now is very far removed from from what they want. And I don't know. To my eye, you are living proof that it can absolutely be done.
1: Absolutely, absolutely agree. It's, um, it's been a wild ride. I got started in retail, just, I needed a job. I was probably 19 years old and I just started out at a, um, sort of, they sold liquidated goods. So if you had a business and that business went up in flames uh, and you had merchandise, this company would pick it up and resell it. And it was a funky little company, um, in the Boston area. And I started out doing all their, um, hand painted signs and posters, And from then on, I I continued to work in retail, and it seemed every job I had, and I've had a ton of jobs in brick and mortar and um, design for retail, it was all about making a better environment for shoppers.
0: Mm -hmm. And that's the gig, right? I mean,
1: (laughs) in
0: every aspect, in every aspect of, you know, what you're doing in a retail type environment. I have always personally felt, because my past history, I had a lot of retail clients as well. Yeah. Yeah. worked for Merry-Go-Round at one point Mm -hmm. uh, in-house way, 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 way back when. And it's kind of like the thing I always say about design, right? Design is design is design, is UX, is it's all the same stuff. When you think about marketing and branding and all this, the outward expression of that as it relates to the people shopping in the stores or online or whatever it is, right? I mean, that's what we're doing here, right? Exactly. Do you feel like because... Because of these environments that you've worked in, because of sort of the retail aspect of what you're doing, do you feel like you may have gained some experiences or insights that benefit you in particular as you go forward?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, since I've been, I've, I've worked when I started out. It was it was face to face with the customer. Mm-hmm. I did a lot of um, work with Home Depot on the floor. And you know various other retail places where I, I had direct access to the customers, and also the salespeople. Um, they're really important to get to know too, because they have first experience, firsthand experience with what customers are asking for and how they shop. Yeah, yep. And then to transfer that over to um, first print, and then to online, you really get a good range of you know feel for what customers are looking for. It, kind of like an empathy thing.
0: Yeah, I would think having that that kind of face to face contact goes a long way in that in particular if you work on the floor i, I think you see what's lacking number 1
1: <laughs> right.
0: based on the questions people ask you and and i'm sure that you start to see patterns
1: oh yeah <laughs> after a while <laughs> mm-hmm. you sure do
0: any incidents or stories or, or anything that that stands out for you in any of those any of those gigs
1: yeah i think with um i was working for home depot it was one of the first stores in uh, the Qu- Quincy, Massachusetts area, and it was it was when Home Depot was first really spreading across the country. They they started in Georgia, and they were going to open up their first Boston area store, and that was in the Quincy, Massachusetts area. And I, I got a job there. I was working the sales floor, and I noticed that nothing was really signed. You know, this is the first real big box model that people were uh, experiencing, and they would walk into the store and they'd be completely lost. You know, It was a very confusing experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of truck, you know, trucks beeping and, and rolling around and, and big things being moved around. Um, nothing was really signed very well. People didn't know how much anything was. They didn't know where to find things. Um, and I, I answered a lot of questions. We, we all were very heavy on customer mm-hmm. service because we had to be there with the customer and, and basically take them by the hand and help them out. Um, so I started signing everything and making sure everything in the store was signed, um, all the bulk stats were signed. And I eventually ended up uh, creating like a wayfinder system that would indicate um, in the aisles where all things would be. So if you're looking for screws, you knew where those would be. And so that was sort of my first introduction to, I don't know if you want to call it information architecture, but just getting people to find what they're looking for.
0: Yeah. Out of curiosity, how new... Was Home Depot at this point um, in the time period that you're talking about, like how new was this concept of this, okay, massive store where everything you could ever possibly want (laughs) in terms of home improvement, you know, is in one place in this warehouse size space.
1: Well, we had a couple of uh, stores in the New England area um, that sort of emulated what Home Depot was doing, but not to this breadth. This, Uh This place was massive. And I don't think we even had WalMarts at that time. You know, we had a few large department stores, but to have a home improvement store of this size mm-hmm. and it was it kind of blew people's minds a bit.
0: Right. So it's what I'm getting at is it going from what you're used to right. to this entirely new concept is a pretty overwhelming experience.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: You know, it's like wandering into a city that doesn't have any street signs.
1: It really <laughs> was. <laughs> People had no frame of reference at all. They were just wandering around completely lost.
0: Yeah. So when you created these signs, were you doing it – was this sort of a DIY thing or was it sanctioned by Home Depot where they're saying, okay, we'll print them. If you, if you do them, we'll print them.
1: Oh, everything's DIY with me. And eventually <laughs> standardized. Yeah. I, it wasn't even my job, you know, in, in the beginning. I just saw a need and I said, you know what, I'm going to help these people out and make my life easier too. I love this. And open up, you know, more space for me to get things done because I was also involved with, you know, a lot of resets and making things physically shoppable for people. Um, so, yeah, I, I ended up just taking this on and the manager said, you know what, this is really cool. Why don't you just do this full time? So that's all I did. Wow. And- yeah. And then eventually they created their own plastic wayfinder system and installed it all over the store.
0: That's fantastic. Yeah. It was absolutely fantastic. And, and here's what's relevant, okay, for everybody that's listening. Folks, this is a prime example. If I had a nickel for every time I heard somebody say, well, you know, we're they won't give us approval to do this, or they won't, they don't agree that we should do this, or I'm not allowed to, and I think to myself, bullshit, just do it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes.
0: You know, I mean, <laughs> case in point, like, okay, this sucks. <laughs> for us, it sucks for our customers. Um, yeah. You know, you, I mean, you could have spent another month bitching about it, <laughs> but you didn't. You just said, all right, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to fix it.
1: Right. I, honestly, I think that's the nature of e-commerce people, at least most of the people I've worked with. Um, they have that mindset. We're all renegades. And sometimes we get to trouble and break some rules and rattle some cages, but we're usually, hopefully, thinking about the user at all times.
0: I think that's really interesting that, that you say that. So, this is sort of a, a, a characteristic thread that you've seen through the the folks that you've worked with in the space.
1: Yes, most of them. Wow.
0: Why do you think that is?
1: I, I think it's the nature of e-commerce in general moves really quickly, and so does technology. And you you are you're always challenged to keep up with uh, you know shopper habits and and what people are really doing and what they're buying. So you, you got to get used to change and to have that mindset, you got to be a little bit of a rebel mm-hmm. and, and be able to accept challenge and to challenge and to adapt with the times. So I, th- I just think it's a natural <laughs> with most people I've worked with.
0: I Really do find that fascinating and it makes total sense. You know, the way you just explained it, yeah. um, it, it makes total sense to me, but it's the kind of thing, you know, I would really like to see take hold in, in a lot more places.
1: Yeah, so would I.
0: Because the pace is the same, as far as I can see.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: You know, I mean, the the pace of change, the pace of technological advancement, the pace at which um, inside an organization, I always say the urgent trumps the important. (laughs) You know, (laughs) like, do this, do this. We have to do this. We have to do this. Like, when are you going to, you know, I talked to a company a week ago. They're talking to me about this new um, B2B website they want to roll out specifically for um, their business customers. Right, and they're reeling off this massive amount of of content changes they want to make, and information architecture ideas, and all these things, and it's all good. Okay, it's all really smart. Yeah, it's all moving in the right direction. And I say, okay, what what do you think your general timeline looks like for this? And they go next Wednesday. (laughs) 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 And I said, how? I, I don't mean to be the naysayer in the room, but how do you possibly think you're going to pull that off Right, by next Wednesday? What is that? <laughs> you know, and, and what inevitably happens is because that target is so big, nothing happens, right? Because they're trying to do all of it at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So again, I I just think your example is a really good one. What's our most pressing problem right now? It's this, Okay. Let's do this. Right. Here's the solution. Right. We put up some signs. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of the DIY thing, I learned a short while ago that you and I have some similar, uh, maybe punk rock roots.
1: <laughs> yeah, I guess we do. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me a little bit about that. Oh boy. Um, well, growing up in the South shore area of Boston, uh, you know, we had a, a nice music scene going on there. Yes, you did. <laughs> we sure did. And it was pretty amazing. I, I, I was a lonely, ner- nerdy kid growing up in a fishing village, basically. And I did, I wasn't really into the music around me, and I didn't have a whole lot of close friends. Um, I would, you know, play with the radio dial looking for signs of life, <laughs> you know, almost like that Lou Reed song, little girl, five years old finding rock and roll. That was me. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, yeah, I found some great uh, music being put out by college stations and, and got into that. And then I started finding people that were almost like my tribe, you know, people who were into the skateboarding scene and they would go to shows in downtown Boston and that sort of thing. Um, and that's actually where I met my husband, who I am currently married to. We're, we're a couple of old punks that still listen to the music and um, still love it. I grew up with Henry Rollins, too. I was reading a lot of his poetry growing up.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you and I, could we could probably talk for days about that <laughs> um, uh, all by itself. Um, and like you, I take inspiration from the same places. Yeah. you know, I mean, for me, even though I grew up in Ohio, okay, for whatever reason – my cousins and uh, a good friend of ours, Jimmy Donadio, was into DC hardcore in particular. Oh yeah. So, you know, bad brains, Oh yeah. minor threat, um, mm. black flag for Gazi, even though flag went out to, you know, California.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: but you know, Henry and Ian in particular were kind of like the cornerstones yeah. of all this and the labels too, like, you know, like SST, discord, um, out of Boston, Tang records. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, it was great stuff. To what degree do you feel like that experience, that scene, that music, and as you said, I mean, you're still sort of there. It's still meaningful to you, which it is for me as well.
1: Yeah.
0: How do you feel like that influenced your your approach? I mean, not just even to your career, but but to everything, to your trajectory from, you know, the time you discovered that stuff to the time you went to school, to the time you got your first job, um, and onward.
1: Uh, everything. And I really mean that it it affects everything that I do and it it provides a lens for me to view the world as something to question. Um, Mm -hmm. and even myself questioning myself, like if I ever think I can't do something, if I can't learn how to code or if I can't get this job I want to get, I I call bullshit on it. Yeah, You know, I, I challenge myself and, and I like to challenge other people as well. Um, it's a very DIY ethic. Like anything you think you can't do, you can, if you really put your mind to it.
0: Yep. Totally agree. Yeah. I also feel like, and this may be a, a, I'm stretching a thread here, but I also feel like the accessibility of a lot of those folks, a lot of those musicians, a lot of those bands played a major role in, in sort of shifting my perspective um, of who they were, because when you removed, you know, you look at these, these folks, like they are I don't know. They're celebrities, in a way, right? They're 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 removed. Like you're not them. You're not on that level. They exist in this rarefied air of some sort, right? Um, and then when you have exposure to them, right? If you, if, you, if you're lucky enough to meet some of these folks in person, you sort of get a very different perspective, which is like, no, I pulled myself up out of it just like you have to. Yeah. You know, is, is essentially the message. I, I had a five minute conversation a million years ago with Ian McKay, and it like. My head exploded <laughs> because in that, in this tiny little space of time, it was just a random conversation. He was just like, well, no, we just decided that somebody should do this. So we did it. <laughs> right. And we didn't know what we were doing. There's no great plan other than my friends are making awesome music and I want to release it.
1: That's, that's it. That's another thing is that you don't have to know what you're doing No, And you might be fearful that you're going to yeah. fail yeah. and you have to do it anyway. You know, you just have to fall on your face and get back up and do it again. You, you might be only be able to play three chords, but you can make a great song out of three chords. Yeah. You know, it's the same that applies in design. And I feel like most people I work with they' they've got a lot of punk rock in them. They're not afraid to fail.
0: Yeah. And I think it's necessary. Yeah, it really is. I think that spirit is necessary. I mean, a lot of the things that I say out loud <laughs> and, and in, in interviews and articles, come directly from those experiences. I mean, I, you talked about Henry, right?
1: Yeah.
0: Here's a guy who for the last, I don't know, probably since 1989. Okay. If I have ever written or emailed or, or anything, like you get a response back. Wow. Always, every time. Yes. And like, again, a million years ago, I, I asked the question, you know, what would you say to somebody? I was, we were talking about writers actually. And I said, what would you say to somebody who feels like they want to write right whether, whether it's poetry or, or books or, Whatever the case may be, you know, what would your advice to, to young people feeling like this is a, this is a, a huge mountain to climb. Mm -hmm. And he said, go out there and get your nose broken. Yep. Because, because there is no other way. (laughs) You can sit around waiting for the opportunity. You can sit around waiting until you're fearless. You can sit around waiting for all the planets to align or, or (laughs) for the risk to lessen. And it's not going to happen. No, (laughs) Right. And, and, Again, that was like a moment for me, and I thought I'm going to carry that forward.
1: Yeah,
0: it's very powerful. And I'm talking too much, but another thing that that he said to me that I always carried with me is that he was like, "Look, if I got this far, you know, I'm I'm a high school education, minimum wage world <laughs> kind of guy. He's like, if I got this far, you should be able to get twice as far." Mm-hmm. And I went, "Wow," <laughs> and I believe that at, at at this point in my career at 50. Um, I really really believe that there's nothing stopping you except you
1: that's a beautiful thing to say, especially when you're looking at fifty. I just turned forty nine yesterday
0: right, you're going to join the club
1: soon <laughs> i am I'm heading there <laughs> not far behind but it's an interesting um you know age to be at and i I've, I've you know i've had I've, for the first time in my my life i've I'm experiencing that age conversation. I think a lot of designers do when they hit 40 and a lot of millennials are getting pumped out of these code academies and they're looking around at a market that's changing and shifting towards millennials and they're thinking to themselves, "Am am I relevant anymore? And I've had that conversation and I never really thought I would. And I had to look at that conversation and say to myself, you know what? That chatter might always be in my head, that doubt. But, you know, it's just another doubt that I had when I was younger that just shifted into another context. Right. And I have to commit myself to what I am empowered to do today and just kind of call bullshit on myself and move forward. Mm -hmm.
0: So, what? I mean, you kind of just answered it, but when you're struggling like that. Yeah. Because I I don't think it goes away. No. (laughs) You know, it it sort of keeps popping up over and over again.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: When you're going through that, what do you call up in your head or your heart or what do you lean on to sort of help yourself push through
1: that? That's a really, really good question. Um, it starts, I believe, and it's going to sound a little woo-woo, but I it, I really look towards gratitude mm-hmm. and the things that are going well in life and in your job and your career and your relationships and really taking a good look at what is working and remembering a bigger picture. Mm-hmm. It's not just about in the moment. It's not just about how you're doubting yourself right here and now. It's about the bigger scope of things and what's possible. And, and and I know that sounds really like a big tent thing, but I it really that's what gets me going is thinking about all the endless possibilities that are opening up in this field and in life in general. Yeah. It's huge. I'm an optimist. <laughs> that's what I am.
0: <laughs> that's good. Being yeah. an optimist is is a necessary ingredient. Yep. It's a requirement. <laughs> For this job. Yes, it is. You know, and, and I think you're right about that. I don't think it sounds woo woo at all. I I (laughs) think that it's very easy, especially when you're struggling to lose sight of, like you said, the things that are working. Yeah. To lose sight of what's going right, to lose sight of what you've accomplished. Right. And you have to, I, I totally, totally agree with you. You have to lean on that. I mean, I'll give you an example. Doug Collins, who's in the group, just launched a new website called UX News. Uh, and he's doing this thing called Five Question Friday. So he asked me to be sort of the first guest. Anyway, he posted a, a quick thing last night that said, this is coming up tomorrow. And he said some unbelievable things that, that really floored me. He was like, you know, I, about the about the value of the answers I gave him. And he's like, you know, sending shivers up my spine or something like that. And um, the only reason I mentioned it is because every single time that happens, I am genuinely, there's some part of me that's genuinely shocked. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's like me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, you know, it, it just, it never, it never stops. And I, and I think that's the negative part of that is, as I think, like we're talking about, it's very easy to lose sight of,
1: of your value
0: of, of what you provide to
1: people. Yeah, it it can be, it can be a challenge at times.
0: What kinds of things show up for you that make you feel like, okay, no, yeah, this is as it should be. This is, I'm headed in the right direction here.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs>
0: what, I mean, what kind of signposts or, or evidence or, or things of that nature do you look for?
1: Um, it just presents itself one thing after another. It's it's everywhere I look. I just mm-hmm. know I'm absolutely in the right place at the right time and with the right people. Um And it's really remarkable where I'm at right now because we have leadership buy-in from the top. So everything that we're trying to do here on our little growing team, they have our back. And just the right people are in the right places at the right time and everything's working as it should.
0: Is that buy-in something that you had to, to work for or was it, I mean, was it there before you came in or was it sort of a symbiotic kind of thing where that grew as you did more work?
1: Um, a little bit of both and I think the buy-in was already there I think it was the mindset that was already in place the, the people who run this company they really want to grow they they um, this is a lean company so they have people come over here from Toyota all the time it, it's just remarkable how they run this company um, so they're very open to change and they and growth so when uh, you know this is a very young e-commerce team both both in age and also in time span. Yeah, working for this company. Mm-hmm. So we just kept pushing for, you know, little things and incremental improvements and winning on that. We have a little analytics team and they back up what we do with data. So when we show them the data, that really also reinforces that buy-in. So the right things are in the right place at the right time.
0: It certainly sounds like it. Can you give me an example of, of an instance where you had an incremental win that led to something, you know, bigger, where you got, you got a higher degree of trust Right, and now you're you can do something that's even more impactful as a result of getting that small win.
1: Um, yeah, I think uh, it goes to the design that we're doing here—the uh, visual design and the UX design together. Mm-hmm. Before we came here, they, they had the traditional design team handling this, the branding team, and although they're great designers, there wasn't—they weren't really connected to the user experience of what was happening on the on the website. Um, so when we came in, we had to show them in a gentle manner because we didn't want to disrupt the culture too much. Mm -hmm. And little by little, we started really gaining ground and edging the company more towards a very sophisticated look and feel. Uh, It took some time, but we were able to to do it. And if you looked at how we looked like about a year ago and see where we're we're at now, and we still have a lot of work to to do. Um, We're still a small team, um, but it's night and day. It's a sea change.
0: Mm-hmm. I just called up the website, City Furniture. Yep. Very, very nice. How old is this company?
1: Um, About 40 years old. Wow. Yeah. They started out as a waterbed company 40 years ago.
0: Interesting. So what I'm seeing now, you're saying is a, is a radical departure from what was? Yes. Well, this is very, I mean, this looks like a top tier retail brand.
1: That's what we're shooting for.
0: Yeah, obviously. It's, and it's remarkable. Okay. The reason I asked you about their age is because quite honestly, it's very remarkable for a company that's forty years old to have this kind of very strong commitment to UX, to design, to giving you guys the the leeway to move things forward
1: yeah, it's it's remarkable. All right, and it's it's so cool to watch and be a part of. And that's part of where my gratitude stems from is that I get to be here, I get to work with these people and and create you know a, a more mature e commerce and UX team. And we're we're tiny now, but you know since I've been here, we've really expanded the development side. Um, brought on another de- data scientist um, and added more product owners. So I'm looking at this company just expanding. And it's it's going to be wonderful to see what we accomplish in the next year, next five years.
0: Yes, I mean, it sounds fantastic. The environment that you're in certainly seems conducive to that kind of growth.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's fun. It sure is.
0: So let's go here. In terms of what you think is on the horizon here, your growth, your your expansion, what do you think that looks like? in a couple ways right in, in the outward facing service of the company in terms of how it serves consumers right from website to retail you know physical brick and mortar to maybe apps to things like that but also the sort of makeup of the team i mean what how do you see that evolving from here
1: wow um
0: <laughs> if you've had those discussions i'm just curious
1: yeah the the, the possibilities are endless with this one <laughs> I see the team and, and when I worked for office Depot, I kind of saw a little bit of this too, cause it was a while back. Um, and I was part of a very small team that grew extremely rapidly. So I, I have a little bit of a model that I built up in my head and we'll see how close to reality it becomes. Um, but I see this team really growing, probably doubling in size. Um, we're talking about here, hiring another designer. We're going to need a whole UX team. I know that for sure. We're going to be, uh, moving into mobile uh, augmented reality um, and really looking at user testing. We don't do any user testing right now. So we're sort of designing in the dark a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's going to be on the horizon as well. Um, We're looking at uh, moving team members remotely. So we're looking at our processes. Um, We have a little bit of a mashup between how Google design, design works and um, agile and, and then Kanban. So it's a, interesting mix that we've got going on. And we're in in almost like an experimental stage where we're seeing what works, what doesn't, and we get rid of the things that don't work for us in our processes. And we move forward with the things that do. And eventually that's going to allow us to be able to work remotely as well.
0: Wow. You're making my heartbeat fast right now. (laughs) You really are because I just, I, you don't know how much I love to hear that, <laughs> and the fact that you're not saying, okay, we're following this specific process oh, and we're doing this oh. <laughs> uh, and this, it's like, no, we're taking the things that work. And it sounds like you're being ruthless about throwing out the things that don't work. Mashup is to me what every organization should be doing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's it's so cool. And, it, and what's really awesome about this, and it goes back to the DIY punk rock thing, is that we're not afraid of failing. I mean, maybe we are a little bit, I won't lie, but we're still going to do it anyway.
0: Yeah. But how big are you going to, are you really going to fail? You know what I mean? Right. It's not the kind of failure that will kill you. No. Since you don't do any user testing, what kinds of of evidence or insights or investigation are you dealing with to sort of inform the decisions you make?
1: Um, Well, we do have a a small data team um, and we just started implementing A-B testing Mm -hmm. and we brought on a content product owner who's fantastic. And she's been uh, doing a lot of tests uh, for our homepage. And we're starting out really small, like just within the last month. And then we'll be adding more uh, testing as well. Um, and the culture itself, we're very open to being wrong about our assumptions. At least I hope we are. Um, so we get a lot of feedback from people and we try to listen do a lot of listening to different um, people in the company. So uh, the the leadership, we listen to them. Um, We listen to other designers on the team. We listen to our copywriters and we try to move from there.
0: Yeah, which is the way to do it, right? Incremental testing. We're going to try this. We're going to watch it. We're going to measure it. And we're going to course correct.
1: Right, exactly.
0: In the absence of face-to-face with users, which by the way, is not always Absolutely necessary. And you are proof of that. Yeah. Then you have to do something. So again, instead of sitting on your hands and saying, well, we don't have any access to end users. So what? Again, I, I just, I love hearing this stuff. <laughs> I, I really do.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, how much, you mentioned sales before. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I, I see a lot in organizations that, that sort of blows my mind, and I'm curious if it's been this way in the, in the organizations you've worked with, Nobody ever talks to sales. Nobody ever talks to the sales people. They're never involved in UX or design discussions. And I cannot for the life of me understand why.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> happens all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Big complaint that I would hear from salespeople. Wait, why do you think that is? We get in our, own, our own little bubble, I think. We get very used to who we're working with on the team and we get comfortable and uh, sort of live in a little bit, bit of a bubble. Mm-hmm. And it almost becomes, where well, we're corporate and they're in the store. Yeah. And one of the cool things about where I'm at right now is that the store is in, you know, we're all together. We've got other stores, but where we work is right in a, in a store. <laughs> so we get, we have access to, you know, the the product and, and you know, we can actually see the customers and, and go down and talk to the salespeople as well.
0: So your offices are literally right in the store, like maybe on top of it or something?
1: On top of it, yes.
0: Wow, that's fantastic.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's really cool.
0: It's fantastic. I mean, so you're, you're seeing sort of, you have the opportunity lots of, in lots of ways to see real time sort of what's going on. Yeah.
1: And access to the salespeople whenever we need, need them.
0: How valuable is that access to you?
1: Extremely valuable. And, um, we have a customer care center on site. Uh, those guys are amazing too, because they're fielding all the, the pissed off calls from customers. Yeah. If you're they're, they are fielding all the delivery calls, all those things. So, All the pain points and friction that people would experience, they they log for us, and we have um, somebody on our team who works very closely with them. So we get a lot of feedback from them as well, as as well as the head of sales.
0: In terms of user experience, in terms of customer experience, right, in in your environment now, and and again, you can lean on what you've done in the past um, as well in answering this. How important do you feel or have you seen that transparency is between the company and the customer. In other words, where the customer doesn't feel like there's a shell game being played here. You know, that, that, that you're not just after their wallets. Mm.
1: Yes. Yeah. I think, um, I'm going to go back in time a little bit, but when I was working with copy USA mm-hmm. and I was working with doing a lot of space planning with them. So their signage and the way they merchandise things and, and making a shoppable environment, um, <laughs> There was a culture there where we almost never really listened to the stores. Wow. You know, I, we had access, our little team had access to the stores and whatever we you know, designed, we would actually bring into the store and physically set it up. So we had that connection mm-hmm. and I got to talk to some of these salespeople. Um, and my husband even worked for the sales team at the time. And the common refrain throughout the whole sales team was that nobody listens to us. Nobody cares. Yeah, and eventually they went out of business.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, there you go.
1: Yeah, so it's very important.
0: Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. What 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 sparked that is listening to you talk, and I recently had an experience where um, I just bought a new mattress. <laughs> um, right here's 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 the exciting part of of turning fifty and your back hurts <laughs> and all sorts of things. Is that you're thinking about your birthday coming up, right? And you're like, oh, what do I want for my birthday? How about a mattress? <laughs> Like, how exciting is this?
1: Pretty exciting! <laughs>
0: <laughs> Woo! I'm living. I'm You know, I'm, I'm living the dream here. Um, but but I had an experience at at Sleep Number. Yeah. Right. I went to the Sleep Number store and I lay down in this bed and and it feels fantastic. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it really was something, <laughs> <laughs> um, the way that it adjusts and, and they run me through all the different models and I test things out and I'm really, really, really impressed. Yeah. And then I start asking questions about the warranty because they tell you, well, we have a 25 year warranty. What I find out is that it's really not a 25 year warranty.
1: Right.
0: It is a two year warranty. Oh. And from year three to year 21, you pay 30% of any repair and replacement costs. Oh. Now, when a part costs upwards of $900 and the labor required is maybe a couple hours, this is not a good deal. And then from year like 21 to 25, you pay like 60%.
1: <laughs> sneaky.
0: <laughs> right. So not only is it sneaky, yeah. okay? But here's what that tells me. <laughs> that tells me that the company's taking a calculated risk, okay? Between years 3 and year 25, stuff is going to break. Right. All right. That's why that policy is the way it is. Yeah. And they don't tell you that until you really start digging and asking questions. Yeah. You have to get three or four. Well, it's a prorated warranty, but it's a, it's, it's the best warranty in the, in the industry. Right. And I had to keep asking to get to the truth. And I thought, okay, here's an opportunity user experience, customer experience, where even if they were just upfront about that, you know, clearly, transparently. Right my impression of the whole experience might have been very different. Right. You know why that is. And I see a lot of the same thing in retail in particular. You know, these these sales, the specials that get run. And when you really look into how it works, it sounds like buy one, get one free, or it sounds like get 40% off. And then you look into it and it feels like, well, we're still going to take you for a ride here and make you think you're getting a deal. Yeah. <laughs> and that doesn't seem to want to die. No. So to, to what degree have you... Experienced that, fought that, um,
1: struggled with it. <laughs> Only all the time. <laughs> I'm serious. It, it, even here, it, we, we struggle with that because it, it, it's a culture. It's it's sort of ingrained, old school way of doing things that is hard. It's hard to break that culture. You know, it's hard to relearn these things and, and come from a different um, mindset where you're you're really thinking about people first rather than trying to make a buck. Um, so yeah. Every job I've had, I've, I've experienced that, and um, usually I'm the one who's questioning it, and it can be a hard thing, a battle to, to fight.
0: Out of curiosity, do you feel like there are any reasons, you know, from the other side of the argument, um, that makes sense to you, where, where you sort of understand why they're they're clinging so tightly to this this sort of traditional <laughs> misdirection kind of thing that, that that they do?
1: I don't know i i want to I want to say that my my perception is that it's some. They're kind of stuck in a thing. We've always done it this way.
0: Yeah. Do you think it's habit?
1: I do. <laughs> I really do. And if it's been working for them, kind of for so long, why change it? You know, even though your 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 people who are buying from you are changing, their habits are buying. You know, are changing, and they're getting smarter.
0: Yeah. See that always that always feels like playing um, not to lose yes. instead of playing to win. Yes. Right. I mean, because you think, well, you know, we've we've done pretty well in that. And for the most part, you know, nobody calls us on it.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and I don't mean it in a mean deceptive way. I mean it's just sort of it's just sort of safe, it's what's known. And they say, well, it's worked, it's delivered this. And and I'm sure you find yourself in the same position. In those conversations, I find myself being the person that says, Yeah, but what if you could do better than that? What if you could do three times the business simply by getting rid of this little part that really isn't costing you that much in dollars and cents and would go a million miles in making people feel like you're being honest with them.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's what our team is trying to do every day. We we've got our own little battles that we fight. Um, and something I've experienced with, and this is a pretty decent sized company. And, and with, you know, a company like office Depot, which, which is even bigger when that kind of practice gets spread out in an organization that's that big, it's it's like playing a game of whack-a-mole because it's endemic. It's it's rooted in the system, and it's you got to pick your battles wisely. Yeah. Or else you get tired. <laughs> or else what? You get tired. <laughs>
0: yeah, there's only so much energy to go around.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: Only so much energy to go around. I mean, yeah, I talk. I get emails all the time, right? Right. Five percent off. Yep. five you percent. Know, Are you serious? <laughs> I'm not even moving out of this chair for 5%. <laughs> you know, it's 10%. Even like, come yeah. on, who cares?
1: Just playing it safe. Give
0: me a break. You got 300% markup and you're going to give me 10%. Yeah. I think there's an entire cross section of people, consumers, who just don't buy that anymore. Not at all. So I understand you're, you're still making X amount on those deals, but you can't tell me that they're returning the same way they were 10 years ago, right. 20 years ago. Right. I have never seen evidence of that.
1: And I think um, the cool thing with e-commerce in general and being on the team that I'm with right now is that having the ability to test our assumptions goes a long way. And we're able to do things that are sort of different from what everyone else is doing. And and we we can test and see if it works. You know, if we've got someone who's like, I want to push this 10 percent off. Whatever. And we're like, no, that's not going to get anyone going. Let's try this. We do have the ability to do that, which is a great thing.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic.
1: Yeah. And then we should show them the results. And that's how we make change happen.
0: Because you have the opportunity to put it out there. Yeah. And then pull it back yeah. equally as quick. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, no matter how it goes. Yeah. That's true. I mean, when you think about traditional brick and mortar retail and what it takes, or what it used to take <laughs> pre internet. Yeah. To roll out a campaign like that, or, you know, to test uh, a promotion. Right. Good Lord. <laughs> Massive effort.
1: Uh huh. <laughs> yeah, sure is.
0: Massive effort. Out of curiosity, and we're probably hammering this topic a little bit, but that's okay. <laughs> um, out of curiosity, what's the difference in business between your online e-commerce and your in-store retail? In other words where's the majority of your revenue coming from and is that shifting? Is it changing?
1: Yeah, it is shifting. I think the majority is coming and I'm not a numbers person, but I, the, I do believe the majority is coming from the stores because they've been around for a really long time and they do quite well, but e-commerce we're catching up. Last month we, uh, we consider ourselves a store too, and we beat out all the other stores in the region. Wow! Yeah, so the, it are ticking upward.
0: That's fantastic. What the reason I'm curious about that is because of the nature of what you sell. Yeah, right. Which is which is furniture. Yeah, pretty hard. I, I think I think there's still a general reluctance to buy certain types of products online, sight unseen.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's interesting because there are some furniture companies um, like Joybird. Uh, I think they're exclusively online. So they're uh, targeting a market that's much more comfortable buying large you know, things like that online. Um, and then there's Wayfair, and they yeah. were all digital. And now they're opening up their first uh, brick-and-mortar store, I think, in Kentucky. Hmm. So they're experimenting with um, you know, a real store as well.
0: I'd be curious to learn why that is, because one of the things that always strikes me about online-only businesses, you have to deal with shipping in return.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> and by and large, there are a couple large organizations who have trained people to not want to pay for the expense. <laughs> yeah. If I get something and there's a problem with it, or I don't like it, I want to be able to send it back to you. And I do not want to have to pay you for
1: it. Yep. Exactly.
0: <laughs> that genie's very much out of the box. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious if there's an, if there's an element of that for them where they're saying, you know what, we got to cut down on some of this churn. Right. If they can't be Amazon and I don't know whether they can or can. not I don't know much about Wayfair.
1: Yeah.
0: but I'm really curious.
1: And now Amazon's selling furniture. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that mixes it up a bit.
0: Right. I mean, I just told you about mattress shopping, right? We're, you, you talk to these online companies and they're saying, Hey, we'll ship it to your house and sleep on it for a hundred days and 365 days in one case.
1: Right. Mm-hmm.
0: And if you don't like it, we'll come get it.
1: Yeah.
0: And you yeah. pay nothing.
1: Yeah. It's incredible. It is. It really is.
0: Absolutely incredible. But it's the right tack, okay? Whether or not these companies survive, I really firmly believe it's absolutely the right approach. You are removing every possible barrier for someone to take the leap.
1: Yeah. And I think um, another thing I heard from a friend and also read online, a company like Joybird where they give you uh, free swatches. So if you're thinking of buying this particular sofa and it's making you nervous that, well, I don't know how I feel about buying something online, I don't know how it's going to look and feel you get the swatches delivered to your house and you can, yeah. that looks like, and it gives you a little bit more a sense of comfort enough to make that purchase.
0: Absolutely. Fantastic. I mean, I think about, I'm going back to music now. I think about buying records right? way back when, right? Records and, and cassettes. There was no try before you buy in any way. No. <laughs> right. I mean, you looked at the album art and you went, okay, these guys look, pretty cool. I think I'm going to take this home. And sometimes you won and sometimes you didn't.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I did that all the time. That was one of my favorite things to do.
0: <laughs> yeah, mine too. I'd like, I like. Were you ever a bargain bin person?
1: Oh, absolutely. I love um, secondhand record stores. You'd always find me in, you know, some record store in Cambridge looking for stuff.
0: <laughs> absolutely. I, I can remember going on a field trip in grade school and we went to some mall for some reason. And I really don't know why, but, but, <laughs> I remember being late for the bus leaving because I was in like Musicland land or one of these, these mall stores and they had a big, like a, um, an industrial drum size container that was just full of cassettes. Right. right. And you literally had to put half your body in there <laughs> to sort of dig through and, and see what was in there because they were all like a dollar or
1: $2. Yeah.
0: And that's the, I'm that guy. I've always been that guy. <laughs> I'm in there. I'm digging. Right. <laughs> Um, and, and I remember they came out to you. they're like, "What are you doing? I'm like, I'm looking for music, it's important <laughs> <laughs> but the but the experience I think is part of that. the anticipation is is part of that the the risk and reward
1: yeah
0: is part of that
1: yeah, the discovery you might discover something awesome yeah,
0: yeah on the heels of that, do you feel the same now that music is digital, now that it's so accessible?" now that you can preview so much of it, mm-hmm. <laughs> on your phone, on your laptop, on your, you everywhere. Has any of the mystery or excitement of that experience changed for you? as a gun out?
1: No, I don't think so. Um, I really, I have a Spotify account, which I love. Mm-hmm. And they have a feature, I think it's uh, your daily mix or weekly. And you click on that and it just sort of taps into everything you've been listening to and it offers up new things. And I'm constantly being surprised by something I've never heard before. I, I just love that feature. Yep.
0: And same here. I mean, I, I do the same thing.
1: Yeah. yeah. And, and I listen to my friends too. And they tell me, Hey, check out this band. I'm like, all right.
0: Yeah. I just feel like, you know, for my personal opinion is I feel like people who say, well, no, there's no, there's no good music anymore and there's nothing new. There's nothing I'm like, are you kidding me?
1: So much good stuff out there.
0: It's an incredible, <laughs> it's an incredible time to be alive.
1: Yeah, it is.
0: It's wonderful. And and I, as you know, as it may feel like we're getting off on a, on a tangent here, but that is the same as everything else we do in terms of user experience, no matter who we do it for. Yeah. Right. Part of what we're doing is enabling a connective experience where the action and reaction delivers something of sustained value, of joy, of experience, of yeah, I want that or, or wow, I didn't know this even existed or I didn't know this could do that or right? I mean, it's all the same stuff.
1: Yeah. And it's all fun. It should be fun, right?
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. If it's not fun, why are we doing it? Exactly. Amen to that. So, we are getting to the the close of our hour. So now it is time for me to make your life difficult.
1: <laughs> all right, give it to me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> These are what I call hot seat questions. Yep. Um and just, you know, meant to give people a little more insight into you as a person. So question number one for you, Kristen, is what is a hidden talent that no one knows you have?
1: (laughs) Um, Shoot.
0: (laughs) The clock is ticking.
1: I know. Okay. So I'm really good at painting houses. (laughs) Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. I spent a summer as a house painter in New England, and and um, I'm really great with a paintbrush. Plus, I'm an artist.
0: Okay. What kind of art? Uh,
1: I do a lot of scratch board work, very detailed, realistic uh, drawings of heroic women. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm a little OCD. I think all of us designers are. But oh, I, yeah. I use an exacto, and I scratch into this board, and you know, I'm basically etching into it and making a and I work, I work pretty big too.
0: That is awesome. Mm-hmm. Is, is your work online where people can see it?
1: Uh-huh. Yeah. I've got a website. So.
0: And, and that URL
1: is? Oh, com.
0: Okay. It's on your website. Yep. That is awesome. <laughs> I, I went to school with some folks who were really into scratchboard. Yeah, work and they did it the same way you're describing with an X-Acto knife. Uh uh-huh. knife. <laughs> the detail I've always been in love with, with the level of detail. And scratchboard. I was never really very good at it. I really wanted to be. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm a, I'm a pen and ink guy for the most part and, and a little bit of sculpture, but oh. scratchboard impresses the hell out of me. And I, I totally love looking at it. <laughs> so that is very cool. Thank you. That is very cool. What is something that you believe about UX or design or anything connected to the work that you do or have done? Something you believe that a lot of people you encounter don't
1: agree with? Um. Oh, gee, that's a tough one. And I was wondering if you were going to ask me that one. I, because <laughs> <laughs> I really can't think of anything. I, I, I feel okay. So here's a little. I know this is dipping back into the controversy of designers code, okay. video code, whatever. But I, I do believe that designers should know a little bit of code. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe they don't have to code. You know, legitimately, they don't have to be a coder. But they should know how it works. They should know um, how to speak to the developers and and, and how to build a relationship with them. And it helps to know that.
0: Mm -hmm. Why?
1: I think it informs you as a better designer or you have a designer on the team. I do know how to code. Uh, We hired a designer who does not know how to code. And she's exceptional. Um, A lot of the stuff you're seeing on our homepage is because of her. Mm -hmm. Um, And the more she works with our developer and the more she learns how he does things, and and designing to his grid and how it's going to look in tablet and and mobile, the more, the better she becomes as a designer. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't have to know how, what he's doing. She just has to understand it.
0: Right. How it works. Yes. Is that similar to a situation where, okay, if I'm a print designer, I need to understand something about how ink goes down on paper on a printing press. Exactly. Right. If you understand the output, you understand how to design properly for it. Right. And I totally agree with that. I mean, I've always agreed with that. Here's, here's one of my favorites, because it's so hard. And, and someone turned it on me once, and I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> You're on a desert island.
1: Oh, here it comes. Right? I loved it.
0: And for reasons that defy the natural order of, of things, you have electricity. Um, <laughs> you can either have a movie or a piece of music that you have to listen to, you know, from now until eternity, until you and everything else turns to dust, <laughs> what's it going to be? Pick a movie or, uh, in your case, a piece of music.
1: Um, I kind of thought about this and I decided on kind of blue by miles Davis. <sighs> yeah.
0: <sighs> can't go wrong.
1: You just can't. It's my go-to every time. And, and I didn't like jazz when I was younger. It drove me crazy. Really and then someone turned me onto that album, and I've loved jazz ever since
0: wow was, why didn't you like it when you were younger or, or or better question what did you what were you hearing when you were younger that turned you off
1: um it's hard to say I think it just it was too slow or it was just too noodly for me <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. you know it was just too um, advanced i guess maybe 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 my ear wasn't uh <laughs> acclimated to it
0: yeah, it just weren't ready yet
1: just a little annoying, annoying. Interesting, Mm.
0: but now you love it. You saying
1: I absolutely love
0: it. Uh, That that's a hell of a pick. Okay, (laughs) I'm staring at right in front of me in my office. uh, I've got a rack that my father, uh, a wooden um, record rack that my father built. Yeah, and the first three, it's like three stacked shelves. Yeah, here's what's in the front of each shelf. At the very top, Miles Davis, kind of blue. Second is a Love Supreme, John Coltrane.
1: Mm, yes. And
0: third is John Coltrane's Stellar Regions, yeah. which is a, a an exploration into the absolute far limits of what music can be.
1: Yeah, great stuff.
0: So it's it's killing me that that was your that that was your choice, and it's like right here, it's right in front of me.
1: It's yeah, it's just a beautiful piece of music. It's just so well balanced, and it, it just reminds me of how what I'd like to achieve as a designer. You know, just not trying too hard and just flowing and, and all of the pieces fall to the right spots.
0: Yeah. And I agree with that. It's as a recording, it's just astoundingly natural. Yeah. It's just, it just is everything is exactly where it's supposed yeah. to be.
1: Even The, the negative spaces. I don't, it's not a proper yeah. term to use in music, but like the pauses right. the are so beautiful as well.
0: Right. Amen. And no, I think the parallel there to design in particular is massive. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Awesome choice. <laughs> awesome choice. All right. I'm going to ask you one more question, um, which is also one of my favorites. At 49 now, being this far along in your career, having had lots of experience, um, lots of good, lots of bad, lots of otherwise, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. If you could give your younger self just starting out, okay, in your, in your career, One piece of advice, what would it be?
1: Oh, boy. Um, One piece of advice. That is a tough one.
0: Yeah, it is. I don't know. I'm, you know, Kristen, 20 years ago.
1: Well, I work with a lot of people who are 20 years younger than me right now. I'm probably the oldest one on the team. And if I could give them any advice, and they're they're brilliant. These are some of the most brilliant people I've ever worked with. Um, Change. Get comfortable with it. It's going to happen. You know, be willing to listen to people. Talk outside of your scope. You know, get outside of your bubble and talk to other people. If you don't like how something is working, you don't understand why somebody's doing something. Go and, and ask questions.
0: Don't just assume. Do you think that? Do you think that kind of thing is universal and related to age?
1: Yeah, I think it goes both ways.
0: Mm-hmm. I could see that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We're, everyone's guilty of doing. It. We're human.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it, it sort of seems like. I always wonder what it is that everybody has to go through that process for themselves before they, before they sort of get it. I don't know what that is. We can't, we can't just take the advice when it's given, you know, I don't know why that is.
1: I've thought about it and I think um, people just get used to how they're, they they want to be right and they want to be in control. And if you, and they also don't want to look bad Mm -hmm. if they're wrong. You know, so that sort of sets you up to keep you in your bubble. You got to be a little, you have to be willing to break outside of that. Be willing to be wrong. Be willing to look a little messy.
0: Amen to that.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, on that note, I think we're going to call it. All right. <laughs> it, it, because it doesn't get any better than that. <laughs> now, seriously, I, I think it's, it's an excellent piece of advice. It's something that a lot of people spend the majority of their lives trying to get to. Yeah. And it's, it's a worthy Battle. It's a worthy climb.
1: It's, it's courageous, really, when you when you big dare yourself to do it.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah.
0: Kristen, I cannot thank you enough for your time today. This was wonderful.
1: Thank you so much for everything you do for all of us.
0: Well, wow, I appreciate that. You are very welcome. And uh, understand that I learn as much from all of you as you learn from me and probably more. Thank you. All right. Have a great rest of the day. Have an awesome weekend. All right. And go forward confidently. <laughs> Thank you, Joe. All right, Kristen, take care.
1: Bye-bye. Bye.
0: That wraps up this edition of Making UX Work. Thanks for listening, and I hope hearing these stories provides some useful perspective and encouragement, along with a reminder that you're not alone out there. Before I go, I want you to know that you can find show notes and links to the things mentioned during our conversation by visiting givegoodux.com podcast. You'll also find links to more UX resources on the web and social media, along with ways to contact me if you're interested in sharing your own story here. Until next time, this is Joe Natoli reminding you that it's people like you who make UX work.